Acts 3, 1 through 10. One day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. We'll continue in our Acts series called The the Spirit-Infused Multi-Ethnic Church. And today's sermon I've entitled uh, The Miracle. And we are covering the miracle of Peter healing the lame man in Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. And the reading was in the NIV version. But previously on Acts, uh, for the past few weeks, we've been taking a deep dive into the pouring out of the Spirit at Pentecost. And some of the aftermaths of this gift of God poured out on the followers of Jesus. Uh, And we discussed Peter uh, standing up after Pentecost, after the pouring out of the Spirit, gives a sermon, stands up among the crowd and gives a sermon. And... In the sermon, Peter gives scriptural and theological context for the day's events, connecting this pouring out of the Spirit with the prophecy in Joel and pointing to Jesus Christ as the long-awaited Messiah uh, that the prophets spoke about in the Holy Scriptures, who was crucified, this Jesus Christ, but now is resurrected. Secondly, the people respond to the miracle of the Holy Spirit as well as Peter's message. And we learn that thousands are added to this growing movement, this growing community of the way of Jesus Christ that day. Thousands. Um, And then at the end of Acts 2, uh, which was last week, we covered uh, the first of several summaries that we'll encounter in Acts that highlight the growth and unique life of the community of faith. What marks this community? The thing that marks this community is devotion. They devoted themselves to, first, the apostles' teaching. Secondly, to fellowship. And this word fellowship uh, is the Greek word koinonia. Um, And then thirdly, they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread or communion. The word communion here, in fact, has the same root as koinonia and so there's a connection there and the breaking of bread refers to um, uh, the eucharist essentially jesus's meal with his disciples his last meal with disciples where he broke breaks the bread and pours the wine out Um, and it's becoming um, 
in these early days, it's becoming something, uh, uh, a part of the worship experience of this growing community of faith, and it's becoming the unique identifier, this, this communion or breaking of bread together. And then fourthly, uh, they devoted themselves to prayer. Um, so that's a look at what we have previously looked at in Acts. But I wanted to point out a theme to you. And this theme is that the Holy Spirit that's being poured out on all people manifests itself as, in the words of Cuban-American Methodist theologian and historian, Justo Gonzalez, a leveling power that destroys privilege. Think about it. Some of the locals gathered around the apostles in chapter 2 on the day of the event are incredulous, and they label the, apostle, uh, the apostles as mere Galileans. Are these men who are speaking in all of these different languages Galileans? Aren't they just Galileans? And the implication here is that Galileans are not as worthy, are not as good as righteous and true Judeans were. And so there is in this and who God uses and who the Holy Spirit is being poured on these apostles. Um, and by connection, it's who Jesus chose as his disciples were common folk, were Gal mere Galileans, not true Judeans. And so there's kind of a leveling of power and status and uh, how the Holy Spirit is manifesting itself. It's leveling the power, the playing field and using ordinary people uh, to, to do wonders and amazing miracles. Um, secondly, addressing this leveling of power that destroys privilege, uh, still others mock the apostles saying, they must be drunk on wine. Gonzalez points out that perhaps these people mocked and did not recognize the miracle because, as, because they were from the area in Jerusalem, and they did not find it special or unique at all to understand their own language because theirs was the language that was spoken in Jerusalem. And as people of privilege heard other foreign languages as useless babble. You know, uh, growing up as a second generation Korean American, I was born in Hawaii. Uh, we moved to Samoa and to California my elementary years were actually spent in Irving, Dallas, Texas. Um, and I remember going to school being one of, maybe the only Asian American I knew in my elementary school. And I constantly had to deal with the jokes and teasing of my fellow mostly white uh, schoolmates. They would come up to me and go, ah, ah, you know Kung Fu, ba, ba, ba. And, uh, Things like, do you speak English? Do you speak English? And of course, I would try to be smart and respond by, I speak perfectly, perfect English, thank you. Um, but, you know, a lot of us who uh, are parent, are children of immigrants growing up in the United States, second generation, uh, people had to deal with uh, a lot of those instances in uh, growing up in school where people would fake uh, fake a Chinese language or whatever, an Asian language, and say, Ching, ching, shing, 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 la, kung fu, now, when they see you. 
uh, as if you didn't know how to speak English, as if you were a foreign per person. Or even they would say things like, and we see these, these instances uh, on YouTube of Asian Americans or immigrants, other people, Hispanic Americans, uh, being told to go back to your country. You know? And these may be citizens, citizens of the United States who've lived here all their lives, who have been born in the US and white Americans saying, you know, in a confrontation saying, why don't you go back to your country? Why don't you take the virus back to your country? Well, actually, I was born here. And this is what I mean by privilege and the dominant culture is that maybe these people that are mocking the apostles, they're like, no big deal. These people are understanding languages, their own foreign languages. But see, they see these foreign languages as just useless babble, right? It's like, why don't you just speak English, right? This is, if you're an American, you need to speak English. You hear that all the time. And so that's where the mocking tone comes from, that spirit of privilege and saying, no, this is uh, this only one language uh, should be spoken here. So that's one of the points that Gonzalez points to, uh, supporting the fact that in the pouring out of the spirit, there's a leveling of power. There's an egalitarian movement that destroys uh, status, that destroys levels um, privilege and is turning the tables upside down. And I think that is a powerful thing to note um, as we uh, address Acts and as we think about the book of Acts as it informs what does it mean to be the spirit-infused uh, multi-ethnic church, the spirit-infused multi-ethnic church. Um, and here are a couple things that I want to uh, bring up to you in terms of being a multi-ethnic church that is being led by the Spirit. In the Spirit, we, one, we speak truth to power and privilege. The Spirit moves us to think about what in the world are not right structures of power. In the Spirit, uh, the multi-ethnic church speaks truth to power and privilege and says, we are all equal children. We are all beloved uh, in the sight of God, the one Father. Amen. And secondly, in the spirit, the spirit-infused multi-ethnic church, uh, we build structures and ethos, uh, develop an ethos and culture in our church, in our leadership structures, in the way that we worship, in the way that we make decisions, in the way that we serve uh, the, our neighbors around us, in the way that we bring along children, educate our children, in the way that we disciple one another, in the way that we approach study of the word and, and preaching and teaching of the word. We build structures and uh, develop a culture and ethos that, that reflect this early community and acts and the power of the Holy Spirit that levels uh, the world's structures and the world's ethos of power and bias and encourages, actually, the lifting up of all voices, encourages the empowerment of voices that have been marginalized, encourages a multiplicity, a myriad of voices contributing to the mosaic of the one community. So with that, let's go to our passage today. 
and the healing that we see outside of the temple. So one day, Peter and John, beginning at verse 1 in Acts 3, were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. The first thing that I wanted to glean um, from this is that Peter and John are going to the temple, right? The temple at the time of prayer. Um, I think this is, a, this is a really important detail to note in that this early Christian community um, came out of Judaism, came out of the worship of the temple, came out of the same holy scriptures. It wasn't, this isn't an abolishment um, of Judaism, right? The apostles continued to go to the regularly scheduled prayers at the temple. They continued continue to worship at the temple. They continued to worship God in the temple. This, this movement of the way of Jesus Christ is not over and against Judaism, right? The worship of Yahweh. It is coming out of the worship of Yahweh and the Hebrew scriptures and the prophecies. And, um, but they were a unique community. And this unique community uh, was living in Koinonia, was breaking bread in communion, were sitting at the feet of the apostles' teaching, um, and uniquely presenting the gospel, which is that Jesus Christ was the promised Messiah, was crucified, but is, was, had risen and was alive today, and the Spirit was empowering um, this new community as witnesses. And so that's point one, observation one, that I wanted to bring up, the temple. The apostles still went to the temple. The second piece in this uh, verse one is that it was at three in the afternoon, or other translations say the ninth hour, which means it was late in the afternoon. And we'll see later in chapter three that uh, the leaders of the temple, the religious leaders had to gather the next day, uh, and three in chapter four, uh, to bring charges against uh, them. So it was too late in the afternoon for anything to be dealt with officially, but it was late in the afternoon. The other piece about being late in the afternoon is that this man every day is being brought to the temple gates. Uh, it says he's being carried. So we don't know who carried him, but other people, he was dependent on other people to bring him and lame him down in front of the temple gate. Um, where he was put every day, it says in verse 2, to beg from those going into the temple courts. And so he was there in the heat of the day, all day, late into the afternoon, begging, begging, please uh, give me money, give me alms, please. I'm lame from birth. Have mercy on me. Give me something. And that's how he made his living. It makes me think of every time I exit, uh, from the church to my home, um, there's always someone uh, standing um, at the off-ramp, um, a different person, it seems like, every day. Um, but that person has a sign. Uh, they're asking for money. And at various points, I'm not prepared. I don't have change or I don't have cash in my wallet. Uh, and when that happens, I, don't, I try not to make eye contact. Um, 
and the other person, the people who are asking, usually don't make eye contact. Um, there's kind of a sense of embarrassment or shame or uh, losing face or saving face in that interaction. Even if I have cash, you know, I try to say something like, God bless you, or here's what I have. Um, but even then, it's uncomfortable to make eye contact eye contact because there's something about um, kind of that interaction and that kind of social relationship that um, might be shameful or you know uh, uncomfortable or embarrassing and I imagine this lame person um, begging every day outside of the temple courts this is someone who's not going through the gates into the temple to pray or to worship like everyone else. But this person is on the outside of the gates, outside of the temple. So I think that's a huge detail for us to recognize. Like, why is he outside of the temple gates and not inside? Is it because he's viewed as unclean, ritually unclean because um, his ankle, his leg, He's been lame from birth. Uh, we know in other parts of the Gospels, uh, phrases like, who sinned? Who sinned that this man was born this way? Was it this man? Was it this man's parents? Who sinned? And so in that religious culture, there was a sense that there must have been this someone who's lame or, or ill or has a disease. There must have been, this must be some sort of punishment from God. Um, maybe that's why. Maybe he wasn't allowed in. I don't know. Or maybe he uh, didn't care about a worship, but most he was just stuck in the rhythm and the, and the purpose, the kind of hopeless uh, lifestyle of sitting and begging for money because he could do nothing else to provide for his family. I don't know if he even had a family, um, but his only kind of vocation, his only kind of means, way to means, is through begging. Um, the other visual kind of detail is the gate is called beautiful. And there's no, the commentators who write about this, there's no uh, gate in the Temple of Jerusalem that we know of that is, was called beautiful. And so, uh, we see that this detail, the detail is not important, like actually which gate, specific gate it is geographically um, in relation to the temple, uh, but that he was on at, at the gate outside of the temple courts. I think Luke, Luke is emphasizing that. But you can take the name beautiful itself and say, oh, that must have meaning in, in a place, a position, a status, or even visually, maybe this man, his leg all gnarled and twisted and crooked, maybe he was not beautiful, right? Maybe he was ugly in the sight of people who gazed upon him and his disfigurement. But in God's eyes, he sits at the gate of beautiful, and he is beautiful. All right, let's move on. Verse 3, when Peter... When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him. Then Peter said, look at us. 
I think this is powerful. This is a powerful statement and a powerful image. In that, you know, I said it before, it's hard to look at, make eye contact when you're making that exchange of giving alms, giving money to someone who's asking of it from you, right? There's a little shame, there's a little embarrassment, there's social distance, you know, social location, a difference in social location. And, and maybe a little a shame, like, I wish I could do more. I know that I'm, I'm wealthy in comparison to you. And this is like pocket change to me. And I give it to you. There's pity, right? But Peter looks straight at him. I wonder how many people went into the temple gates and just did not look at the man and passed him by, didn't even acknowledge him when he was asking. Or if they did acknowledge him, they just tossed coins at him without even making eye contact. Right? I'm sure people refused to look at such an ugly sight on the side. Or it was trivial uh, in their important in, in what they were doing, the importance of their day. The importance of where they're going. I'm going into the temple. I'm going into the church now to worship my God. I'm going at the hour of prayer to go in. And here's this homeless guy sitting on the steps of our church, sitting on the porch. Oh, how messy. Oh, how dirty. Oh, can, will I catch something if I touch him? Oh, he's unclean. But... Let me do my duty and toss him some coins. Clink, clink, no eye contact. But we see in Peter and John, as is, was the quality and character of Jesus, Jesus touched those who were sick. Jesus touched those who were lame. Jesus touched those who were considered unclean. Jesus touched the lepers. Jesus spoke to the sinners and the tax collectors. And the prostitutes, Jesus interacted. Jesus was relational. Jesus connected. Jesus made eye contact, human contact. And this is what we see in Peter looking straight at the man. Connection. You are a human being. You have dignity, right? The Holy Spirit is creating this community that levels the power structures, amen? That, that destroys the structures of privilege and puts everyone on the same playing field as children, as sons and daughters of God, amen? No one is better God than the other. God doesn't show partiality. Peter looks straight at him. You are my brother. So does John. And Peter even says, look at us. So we see in that comment that the man asking is not even looking at them. Maybe his face is at, at the ground to the dust because he's so ashamed. Or he has to demonstrate humility as he's begging for money. He's not even looking at people. Look at us. You know, I talk to my son every day. I try my best to raise him up to be a person of ca character. 
um, to be a person of integrity and courage and maturity. And one of the things that I focus on as I'm speaking with Isaiah is make eye contact. When you say, when uh, someone comes and visits, make sure you make eye contact and say, hi, Mr. or Mrs. So-and-so, instead of like, hi, and running out of the room, right? Stop, look people in the eye, and say, and greet them. Or when I'm lecturing them, or giving them the great wisdom that comes from father passing on to his son, I say to him, look at me, look at me. Make eye contact. He's like, I am listening. Why do I have to look? Cause I, and I say, when you make eye contact, right, it, mean, it helps me know that you're really listening. That you're really listening. And Peter is making a deeper connection perhaps here um, just by making eye contact and the gaze um, than this man may have experience for the whole of his life. Verse 5, so the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. And here we see even further that we're making a pivot. We're starting to make a pivot. Luke is making a pivot from the transactional. Oftentimes we approach life um, with other people transactionally. I give you this, you give me this, right? I do this, you give me money. Right? And so the expectation from the man here is, oh, they're going to give me some change. They're going to give me a dollar bill. They're going to give me a $5 bill. Awesome. Great. So he's expecting to get something from them. But this is where the passage shifts. Right? This, is the, this is the movement here of the Holy Spirit and that what he, re- he is about to receive something, but what he receives far exceeds what his expectation is, right? And how many of us feel like that in our lives, right? Maybe you grew up in the church. Maybe you've been following God, uh, but you have an illness, Maybe you have a physical illness that you've had for a long, long time. Maybe you have uh, an addiction of some sort or something that you turn to that you you can't help uh, when you're not doing well, when you're doing bad. Maybe you're in the midst of you've lost your job and you're sitting in hopelessness and despair, right? The situation is not good in your life. And so you, you're like this man sitting in the dust, um, not expecting much, right? The bar is really low, right? Maybe even you're, you pray to God, you go to church. Maybe you watch church every week uh, streaming or you send up, wrote prayers up to God, but you've lost that conviction or belief or fire that there's really going to be any assistance or help from heaven, that really there's any power left, that God is even in listening to you, that you're always going to be stuck in the same situation. You're, you're done being patient. You're done waiting because nothing has ever happened, right? 
you're sitting in a boat fishing and you've been there day after day and you've never caught a fish. So you're like, I'm never gonna catch a fish. Why do I keep fishing? But you still have your line and the water, you know? And so what you expect from God or what you expect from humanity or the community around you is nothing at all. Ah, oh, this is what I can expect. Maybe it's even negative. What I expect from the faith community or from my friends or from a church or from religious leaders is hurt and pain, right? What I expect from them is judgment. What I expect them from them is for them not to see my dignity, right? But only see the sin in me. Who knows what your experience are? You know your experience. So I wonder how you, I, that's the question for all of us. How are we like this man, right? How have we been like this man sitting at the gate called beautiful, but not feeling beautiful at all? Amen. Think about that. Verse six, but Peter responds, silver or gold, I do not have, but what I do have, I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up and instantly the man's feet and ankles become strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. This is so much like um, other healings that we see Jesus do um, in the Gospels. Uh, you know, uh, that Jesus heals the, uh, the lame man in Luke where uh, the man, there's a crowd surrounding Jesus. He goes into a house and the man has friends who is carrying him on um, a pallet. And because it's so crowded, they can't reach him. So they dig, they go to the roof and dig a hole in the roof and lower their friend in front of Jesus, right? And so there's, there's a similarity here in that the man is lame. Two, other people have carried him in front of the temple. Maybe not his friends, but we don't know. Um, but he's put in position before Jesus. In our chapter in Acts, it's, it's uh, a less hopeful situation, right? He's just brought there every day, every day, every day. But the apostles of Jesus happened to pass by him that day. We also, there's other passages uh, of healing, the 10 lepers. Uh, was it the le 10 lepers? And Jesus heals the one, and they, he sends them to the temple, to the priest to get declared clean so that they can re-enter the community, re-enter society as cleansed. But the uh, one man, actually the Gentile, comes back to Jesus, jumping and dancing and, and uh, declaring praise and worshiping Jesus because he was so grateful to be healed. Right? We, we hear, when we read this passage, we feel echoes of this, right? This is like Jesus. These are like the wonders and the miracles and the healings that marked the ministry and life of Jesus. And it's Peter and John that are now doing these. And remember Jesus' words, you're going to do things even greater than I did in my name through the power of the Holy Spirit. And here is the first miracle that the apostles are doing, a first 
miracle of healing that the apostles do, that Peter does. And he does it. What? What's the difference? It's not about, oh, I have this power. I have the iron fist. It's glowing with fire and I'm going to touch you with it. And you're going to be healed because I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ. And I'm really high. It's not about status. It's not about position. It's not about the power that the earth or humanity gives to you. It's about the power in the name of Jesus Christ. And we'll see this later in chapter 3. The name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. The Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Peter will repeat this as he's debriefing this miracle. And it's important. Right? In biblical days, healing and salvation were very similar. It wasn't, it's not like it's a separate thing. Right? So when Jesus heals someone, it's also as if you're saying Jesus, right, saved them. And here Peter is demonstrating a miracle of salvation to this man who is born lame, right, since birth. And he says, I don't have money. I don't have silver and gold, right? He doesn't say, I'm not going to give you money because you might spend it on alcohol and cigarettes. And I don't want you to do that, so I'm not going to give you money. He says, silver and gold I don't have, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. There's power in the name of Jesus Christ. There's power in this Holy Spirit. There's power through the Holy Spirit and authority in the apostles, a newfound authority. But it's not some magic trick. It's not something uh, that they're doing out of their own merit, but it's something that's coming um, through the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus Christ who brings salvation and healing to us all and this is not transactional this is about your it's relational and it's about the soul the full restoration of this man physically emotionally socially in community spiritually in his soul i don't have silver and gold for you right before this passage remember we had the summary of uh, the community of faith. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the breaking of bread, to prayer. Um, I just said the other one, to fellowship. Um, and then it says they everyone held everything in common. They sold property and laid it at the, their resources at the feet of the disciples. And uh, everyone, if anyone was in need, they gave to the person in need. And so we know that the apostles have some sort of uh, account, you know, a fund that's been growing from the community of believers who've been laying resources, money, silver and gold at their feet. And yet Peter doesn't offer this, you know, it's like this man's like, where do I fill out the uh, benevolent for the benevolence fund? I, I need benevolence fund. Where do I fill out the application for that? It's not like... They did that, or Peter didn't offer these resources, but he offers something much more, and that's salvation through healing, right? 
And it blows away the expectations of this man. This man did not come that day expecting to be healed physically. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Can you imagine, like, remember, this man's ankle and leg were not working, right? And so as he's being helped up, as this miracle is happening in real time, and he's jumping up, the sinews and the ligaments and the tendons are twisting back into shape. Muscles are growing, right? And, and building in strength. These muscles in his legs never carried him, weren't able to carry him. So they're weak, they're atrophied, right? And they're growing in strength and untwisting and straightening out as he is being helped up and then he jumps to his feet. He also, it's like the Neo in the Matrix. I know Kung Fu. He also learns how to walk and jump, right? In an instant. Amazing. And in verse 8, he goes into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. Here's someone who did not even step into the temple courts. Maybe he was too ashamed. We talked about this earlier. But he steps through the gates called beautiful because he has been made beautiful again in the power of the Holy Spirit. In the name of Jesus Christ, his body, his soul, and his confidence restored. He is beautiful, a beautiful child of God. And something in his spirit, something in his mind, not only, not just his body has been healed, but his soul has been healed, his heart has been healed. His self, the way he views himself, has been healed and restored. And he sees himself as beautiful, and upon no longer is he an outsider. No longer is he stuck on the porch, right? Like a dog sitting on the porch. He's like, I'm a part of this family. I'm going to walk in. And I don't care what people think or what people say. All I know is I was lame and now I'm healed. And my response is to worship. It's spontaneous worship. One, the God of the universe heals and restores and renews our souls or heals us physically, when God does something powerful in our lives that surpasses all of our expectations, our only response is to jump up and down and sing praise. We want to worship God. That is our response, amen? So this man goes into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. And we need more of that in our courts, in our churches, in our communities of faith. No more, oh, Sunday morning. Oh, church, oh, Bible study, oh, pray. Uh, uh, uh. Praise God. And this becomes a witness. Verse 9, when all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him. Right? All of a sudden, here's that, here's that theme of looking and seeing. They did not recognize or see him. When they entered the gates and passed them every day, they ignored him. He was nothing. But now, verse 10, they recognized him. 
as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they recognized in him something beautiful, the gospel, good news, transformation and salvation happening. And the same, same response as in chapter 2 with the miracle of Pentecost, they were filled with wonder and amazement. Friends, when the Holy Spirit is moving in power and, then, and when we are serving and loving in the name of Jesus Christ as the church, amazing things happen. And when people look at that, they will be filled with wonder and amazement, not because of what any good that we're doing, but because of the Spirit at work in us. They were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. And once again, this community of faith, the community of the Holy Spirit that's shaping, and the apostles and the leaders are finding favor with the people throughout Jerusalem as they're recognizing that, oh, something is happening here. God is at work. And my prayer is that as a church, that we become infused, that we allow the Holy Spirit to move through us in the name of Jesus Christ, and that we will find favor in the eyes of those around us because of the wonders and the amazement at the love that comes out of us, the healing power. Who, are, who is sitting at the doorways of our churches, the doorways of our homes? in need of healing, in need of the good news of Jesus Christ? And how can we be the community that surrounds them? And it is the hands and hands of healing touching them. Let's pray. God, thank you that there is power in the name of Jesus, that in that power you break every chain Yes, you break every train. There's power in your name, Lord Jesus. And power in the Holy Spirit infused community to be your hands and feet in the world. Help us to come before your presence um, as children and receive the healing that you have for us personally. Also help us to grow as a community that is a source of healing uh, for those in a broken world. May we participate in your kingdom, God, and be the spirit-infused community that participates in the leveling of power and the overturning of privilege and becomes uh, a household of freedom so that others can be healed and be renewed and, per and enter into your salvation. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.